Hello, everyone. It's November 3rd, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. I'm your host, David McAdam, and it is my intention to be a helper of your joy and an encourager of your faith as we go further up and further in in our exploration of God's self-revelation in the Scriptures. We are reading daily from both the Old and New Testaments, making fresh discoveries and recognizing familiar landmarks that help us make sense of the journey. The 66 books of the Bible, written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors who did not consult each other, present a unified theme of the universal bondage to sin and death and the need for rescue. Mingling with the clear word that we are all by nature and deed condemned under God's law and to be held accountable and without excuse is the promise of a miraculous work that God would accomplish in the person of His Son to secure forgiveness, full acquittal, full justification, the credit of righteousness to those who repent and believe. We are in a section of the Hebrew Old Testament known as the Prophets, the Nevi'im, and we have read the opening chapters introducing Ezekiel to visions of the glory of God, preparing him for his difficult ministry of delivering messages that a stubborn people don't want to hear. We have seen that Ezekiel's messages contain not only words but prophetic dramas in which he was to act out a part according to the Lord's direction which included requirements for sets, props, costume, and hair. Ezekiel will have further glimpses of the glory of God and how the disobedience of God's people has caused the glory to depart from the holy temple in Jerusalem. We learn throughout the Bible that sin incurs punishment, a debt to God's righteousness. The overt and covert idolatries of the people do not go unnoticed and must receive their due punishment. But hold on, there is good news of deliverance coming to those who put their trust in the promised substitute, the sacrificial lamb, and the new covenant of God's grace, which we will read more about tomorrow. But before we get to the good news of salvation, we must recognize the bad news. That is, we must be convicted of the severity of sin, the reality of guilt, our inability to save ourselves, and our need to have our sins forgiven by divine intervention. So let's go to where we left off yesterday. We'll start with Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 1. The Day of the Wrath of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 7. The word of the Lord came to me, And you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, An end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Disaster after disaster. Behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near, a day of tumult, and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you, and spend my anger against you, and judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, I will punish you according to your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. 
Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. Behold the day. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth, neither shall there be preeminence among them. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all their multitude. For the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live. For the vision concerns all their multitude, it shall not turn back, and because of his iniquity none can maintain his life. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without, pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword, and him who is in the city famine and pestilence devour. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains, like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble, and all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth, and horror covers them. Shame is on all faces, and baldness on all their heads. They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. Therefore I make it an unclean thing to them, and I will give it into the hands of foreigners for prey, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king mourns. The prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their ways I will do to them, and according to their judgments I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 8 Abominations in the Temple In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, 
which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate, in the entrance, was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here, to drive me far from my sanctuary? But you will see still greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. So I went in and saw. And there, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, You will still see greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty-five men, with their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, worshipping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Chapter 9. Idolaters Killed Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand, and with them was a man clothed in linen, with a writing-case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing-case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said in my hearing, 
pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking, and I was left alone, I fell upon my face and cried, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood, and the city full of injustice. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen, with the writing case at his waist, brought back word, saying, I have done as you have commanded me. And this concludes our reading of today's portion from the Old Testament from the book of Ezekiel. In the earlier chapters, chapters 1 through 6, Ezekiel saw the vision of the glory of God in the plain by the river Kibar in Babylon. The thrust of the vision was that God was behind the judgments that were falling upon Judah. Chapter 7 underscores that God was in control. He is pictured enthroned on his chariot of fire. It was God who had transported them into the Babylonian captivity. He did it that they might know that he alone is God. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 4. Lamar Eugene Cooper in the New American Commentary on the Book of Ezekiel writes, By judging Judah in accordance with the standards and punishments declared to them from the beginning in the Mosaic Covenant, the Lord would cause them to recognize Him as different from the gods of the nations, a God not to be manipulated or taken for granted, but rather obeyed and trusted wholeheartedly. Page 116 from the NASB Commentary on Ezekiel. You will find the expression, you will know, then you will know, and you shall know, three times in chapter 7, in verses 4, 9, and 27. The concept that the future judgment is inevitable is communicated using the predictive perfect tense, in verses 2 and 6. The not yet is as good as now, it is as good as done. The time of patience is over. The prophet Ezekiel is telling the exiles in Babylon what Jeremiah is telling those still in Jerusalem. The time of waiting is over. The time of recovery is past. The nation had overstepped the boundaries of God's forbearance. And you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 2. The judgment would be wide-sweeping, not confined to Jerusalem alone. It would extend to the four corners of the entire nation. It would affect every stratum of society, buyer and seller, prince and pauper. Their wealth, education, or social status could not save them from the judgment coming upon them for their sins. No political alliance could provide rescue. By their own standards I will judge them, 
then they will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 27. In chapters 8 through 11, verse 25, Ezekiel receives a series of four visions pertaining to the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem. These visions reveal that God sees the hidden and secret sins of the heart. These visions remind us of what we read yesterday in the book of Hebrews. For no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Ezekiel is sitting in his house in Babylon with the elders of Judah who were brought into captivity with him. The date is September 17, 592 B.C. This reference suggests that even in the exile there was some organized structure to the community life and corporate worship among the Jews. They were waiting for a word from the Lord to come to Ezekiel. They got more than a word. The hand of the Sovereign Lord came upon him there. Ezekiel then saw a figure as of a man who appeared as fire from the waist down and glowing metal from the waist up. He grabs Ezekiel by the hair of his head and transports him in the spirit to Jerusalem. The question is, was this a visionary experience or did he return bodily to Jerusalem? Ezekiel is shown a sequence of scenes exposing the sins of idolatry taking place in the temple in Jerusalem. Number one, he is shown the image of jealousy, a false deity, possibly Asherah, in the temple provoking the holy jealousy of the only true God, in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Number two, he is shown the secret cultic worship of animal deities by Israel's corrupted leaders in hidden chambers in Jerusalem's temple, in verses 7 through 13. Perhaps the secrecy of these meetings was because worship of the animal gods of Egypt was offensive, if not illegal, under Babylonian rule. Number three, he is shown women weeping for Tammuz, the Babylonian equivalent to Damuzi or Duzu, the Sumerian god of vegetation, the male consort, the shepherd god of Inanna, also called Ishtar, in chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. The religious rites surrounding Tammuz worship followed the seasons that depict the death and resurrection of this nature god. In the fourth month, when the vegetation died, the women wept. They were still weeping in the sixth month. Number four, he has shown twenty-five men desecrating the inner court, worshiping the sun, turning their backs towards the temple, in chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. No trivial matter. The worship of the sun was one of the evil practices introduced by King Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 5. Prior to the fall of Jerusalem in 587 and 586 B.C., there was a rise of syncretistic worship accommodating the pagan practices of Judah's neighboring nations. Remember, Solomon allowed his pagan wives to build a temple and altar to their gods in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. This led to the revival of Baal worship in Israel in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31 through 34, and chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And it led to the division of the northern and southern kingdoms in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 41 through chapter 12, verse 33. Not only was the Lord angered by His people thumbing their noses at Him by conducting idolatrous worship in the temple, but He was angered by the violence in the land. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? 
Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 17 The statement there is some good in all religions is false. The self-deification of the New Age movement, the revived paganism popular in our culture today, and the embracing of false deities in the name of multiculturalism are blatant examples of contemporary idolatry and an abomination to God. Oh, that God's people would know that He alone is God and that He is the only one who can provide salvation. He does this through providing the gift of His Son. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 9 provides the details for the coming judgment. The executioners here are more than men. They are divine messengers, angels dispensing God's judgment. In verse 3 of chapter 9, we see the first stage of the departure of the glory of the Lord from the sanctuary, a movement which will conclude in chapter 10, verse 22. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3. A messenger in white linen was instructed to go through the city and place a mark on the forehead of those who grieve or lament over the detestable things that were being done in the temple, exempting them from judgment. Others would be judged as guilty for accommodating the practices. Those who were spared became a remnant of hope for future restoration. Judgment being passed over those who have the mark on their foreheads is reminiscent of the Passover story, where the angel of death passed over those who had the mark of the blood of the Lamb on their doorways. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 and 13, the passing over of Rahab's household in Jericho due to the mark of the scarlet cord hanging from the window, or the passing over those who have received the seal of God on their foreheads in Revelation chapter 9, verse 4, exempting them from utter destruction. The judgment began in the sanctuary. The religious leaders were even more responsible and consequently were the first to receive punishment for leading the people astray. Now let's go to our next stop in our Bible reading tour to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest, chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, 
after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And this concludes today's portion from the New Testament, from the letter to the Hebrews. When you consider the superiority of Jesus, our high priest, to the Old Testament priesthood of Aaron, you will see how it makes no sense to turn away from a living relationship with the captain of our salvation, the author and finisher of our faith, a perfect Savior, to a chalkboard sketch of him. We understand that the priests dealt with the problem of sin by offering the required sacrifices, but they were also to be living representatives of the people in matters related to God. The priest must sympathize with all that it means to be human as well as honor the holiness of God. Jesus qualifies as a greater priest by offering a once-and-for-all sacrifice. He is able to deal with human beings sympathetically because he himself was God become man, and thereby had the capacity to feel what we feel. Aaron did not appoint himself to the service of the tabernacle. He was called of God, but his service was limited by his limited lifespan. The sacrifices he offered were necessitated by his own sins. Jesus did not take upon himself the office of king and priest. He was appointed and anointed for a greater office, in that it was not as high priest alone, but as the Christ, the anointed king, priest, prophet, judge. He is the Son of the living God, proclaimed such by the Father. He is designated a priest after the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, and Psalm 110, verse 4. Like the figure Melchizedek, of whom there is no record in history of his beginning of days or his end of days, Jesus stands apart from Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek's name means King of Righteousness, and he is the King of Salem, meaning peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and peace. He is more than a king. He is the priest of the Most High God, the one mediator between God and man. He represents God to man and man to God. He does this by offering himself. Abraham had been involved in a war in the interest of righteousness and rescue. His fight was on behalf of others. He is met by Melchizedek, the king and priest who represents the God who called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and granted him victory over those who stole Lot. Melchizedek has come to bless those who serve the kingdom of righteousness and peace. He offers Abraham tokens of himself and his saving work a communion meal of bread and wine. 
Today's reading from the New Testament closes with a rebuke. Having progressed to a degree, the Hebrew Christians had become dull of hearing. They degenerated to deafness and infancy. Instead of being teachers, they had need that someone teach them again what they had already been taught. They were not seeing that going back to the law was regressionism. Now let's go to the book of Psalms, our next stop on our Bible reading tour. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15. Tell of all His wondrous works. Psalm 105. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength, seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever, the word that He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob, as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. In the first section of this psalm, verses 1 through 4, the psalmist calls worshipers to give thanks, pray, call on his name, testify as missionaries, make known among the nations his wondrous works, sing praises to him, acknowledging all that he is and all that he has done. We are encouraged to glory in his holy name, to boast of him, rejoice that he can be found of those who seek him, and look to him for your strength. In verses 5 through 15, he calls the worshiper to remember all that he has done for his people. He has made a covenant with Abraham and given them promises. To them he will give the land, in verse 11. Through them he will give the Messiah. But his goodness extends beyond the people of his covenant, for his judgments are in all the earth. He had a special role for his prophets and used them to speak to the nations even rebuking kings. And now for our final stop on our Bible reading tour, we go to the book of Proverbs and we read Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. This proverb reminds us that deceptive speech disregards the people it hurts and misleads. Flattery is an example of deceptive speech. It is a manipulative tool that disregards the integrity and trust needed to build healthy relationships. Let's pray in the light of what we have been shown in His Word. Lord, You know us inside and out. You know the idol-making capacities of every heart. We ask for Your forgiveness for any personal allegiance that competes with our devotion to You. Anchor our affections to that which is real and eternal. Let us hold fast to the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. We desire to live as fully devoted worshipers, offering you heartfelt praise. 
we ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and the boldness to make known the good news of your plan of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been a blessing to have this time together, and I hope that you have been edified by God's Word today. If you have any questions or comments, you can always contact us by writing podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its many ministries, or if you would like to subscribe to a daily email with a written copy of the commentary that accompanies each day's reading, you can go to our website and subscribe at newlife.org. So until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of God be with us all. Shalom. Shalom.